So for this morning, we have invited Tom Bruner. Come on up, Tom. He is uh, the director of church planting in the district, and he's been here for about 10 months. And so uh, he took a leap of faith and came to the Mid-Atlantic District, and we're excited to have you here, Tom. We're excited that you're going to bring the word this morning. So the stage is yours. Thank you, Pastor. Well, it's good to be with you, and I, uh, on behalf of our district, your former uh, district superintendent, your former lead pastor, I want to bring you greetings and also just thank you. Uh, many of you have supported us individually, and you as a church have supported our church planning efforts, so, so, so grateful for that. You are making a, a huge impact in many ways. As Mark said, for those of you who may not know, we are a Christian Missionary Alliance church. We have six million people around the world. And here in our region, we are D.C., Delaware, Maryland, and Virginia. And so I work with churches like yours who want to be greenhouses to maybe raise up planters who like shoots we can send out who will plant other churches and cast vision for prayer and forgiving. And then I also work with our six church planters. But I want to talk to you about a problem and a solution. As I'm traveling around, I'm sensing people are discouraged. Uh, There's a problem with giving. There's a problem with prayer. And I don't want to be simplistic, but I do want to simplify it, and I think that there's a reason for that, and I think that is because we've forgotten one of the great truths of the Christian life. And that's what I want to talk to you uh, about today. Someone said that when you speak, tell them what you're going to say, tell them, and tell them what you just told them. So let me tell you what I'm going to tell you. God wants to bless you, and he wants to bless you so that you can bless others nearby and far away. And so I'm going to talk about that, and at the end... Uh, there's a little insert there in your program. I'm going to ask you to, to, just to write down. I'm not going to ask you to turn it in, show it to God or anybody. How are you going to be a blessing to others? And as I speak, I want you to think, which of these points is the point for me? Which of these is new for me? That God wants to bless me? That God wants to bless me so I can bless others? That God wants me to bless others nearby and far, far away? Uh, I like this year's missions conference theme. Uh, last year's, I had to admit, I was a little stunned. Do you remember what it was with peculiar people? And I thought, who wants to be a peculiar person? That's kind of, you know, wasn't somebody on drugs when they came up with that idea? And so, uh, and, and, in the, and in the old King James, it says in First Peter, I'm getting old, so I'm going to turn around and read from back here. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Well, I don't want to be a peculiar person. And so most of the translations change that. And so they say that you are a people for God's own possession, so you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Well, then I did some, some research. Did you know that the only translation that calls us peculiar people is the King James? And the reason is because the word peculiar meant something totally different in the 1600s than it does today. Today, a peculiar person is, eh. <laughs> Peculiar back then, there were only two groups of people that were peculiar slaves and employees. In other words, they were called peculiar because they had procured resources from the owner that no one else had so that they could accomplish his will. So the point is, God wants to bless you. And he wants to bless you so that you can accomplish his task in the people around you and throughout the world. Well, that's a whole, whole different meaning throughout the point. So what I want to do now is I just want to kind of skip a stone across I was a pastor for 43 years, so I'm watching the clock. You can tell me that I can go as long as I want, but I know what that means. Go this amount of time. 
And so I just want to skip a stone across scripture. All the scriptures are there in your program if you want to go back and look at them later. But I just want to remind you, or maybe for the first time for you to hear this incredible truth that God longs to bless us so that we can bless others nearby and far away. Go back several thousand, several thousand years uh, and uh, we come to the time of Jesus. It's probably the most well-known Bible, John three sixteen. God longs to bless you. He loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes him shouldn't perish but have eternal life. God longs to bless you. And maybe that's a new idea for you. You've been in a job all week where people have evaluated you. You haven't been good enough. You haven't been smart enough, fast enough, slow enough. God looks at you and he says, I love you. I want to bless you. He wants to bless you so much. He left heaven. He became a human being. And now he's, he, he comes to you and he dies on the cross, takes your place for all the punishment. And then he offers to give you Zios Aeonion, to pour the life of eternity into you so that you can become changed. God longs to bless you. He always is long to bless people. But if that's what you think the gospel is, you've only got half a gospel. And that's why many people are struggling spiritually. Because God not only longs to bless you, he longs to bless you so you can bless, bless others. So if you skip the stone and you go back even further, thousands of years beforehand, uh, let me ask you something beforehand. Are you filled this morning? Which of those pictures would you say is full? Is it the glass? Is it the swimming pool or the river? When you think of yourself, which, how do you think of yourself? God, fill me. I'm like a glass. And I'm just getting emptied out. And so Sunday morning, fill me back up. Or you're like a pool. Oh, I got a little more blessing. When God looks at you, he views you as a river. He wants you to be filled up so you can flow out into the lives of others. And he's always been that way. He longs to bless you so that you can bless others nearby and far away. Go back thousands upon thousands of years to Abram, one of the first people that God ever made his covenant with. And, and uh, God says that it comes to Abram in Genesis chapter 12. And he says, he says, go and I'll make you into a great nation. And he says, and I will bless you. And then he tells some of the ways that he'll bless him. He says, he says, I'll make your name great. And he says, and so you shall be a blessing to all people. Now, it's one of those passages that's hard to translate into the English. Remember, the Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in Hebrew and Greek, some of it Aramaic. And in the Hebrew there, the tense literally changes. And so it's not a prophecy. It's, it's, God is actually saying two things. Top line, like in accounting, he says, I'll bless you. Abram, you're, you're single. You're a senior citizen. You're, you're infertile. You're, there's no way that you can ever give birth. And yet I'm going to give you a son. Matter of fact, that son is going to multiply so many times. I'm going to make you into so many descendants that you're like a nation. And so today, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity look back to Abraham as one of the spiritual leaders of the world. Uh, he says, I'm going to give you land. Ancient Eurasian law did not allow any of that land that Abraham was staying, standing on to be purchased. And yet God gave it to him. He became a huge, wealthy man. He was never a sheep herder like maybe we were taught in Sunday school. He was a multi-billionaire when he moves into a country. Who's he hobnob with? The, the, the pharaohs, the kings. But that's just the top line. God says, I will bless you, but you also will be a blessing. The Hebrew is not a prophecy for the future saying, well, sometime in the future, Jesus, one of your many descendants is going to come. He's going to die on the cross for people and you'll be a blessing to everybody. The closest to the Hebrew would be when, I was, when our kids were growing up, we had four girls. Uh, and if I came into their bedroom and I said, you know, this room is really messy. You will have it cleaned up by tonight. 
Now, is that a prophecy? Yes. Is it more than a prophecy? Uh Uh-huh. And that's what the Hebrew says. God says, Abram, I want to bless you, but you are to be, you're going to be blessed so that you can bless others nearby and far away. And if you don't understand that, if you're just saying, God bless me so I can be secure and content and have an American lifestyle, you're going to miss out on the rivers of blessings that God wants to flow in you and through you. And so God shows through Abraham that God longs to bless us so that we can bless others. Fast forward a, a couple more hundred years, a couple centuries, to David. Uh, David understands that God longs to bless him so he can bless others nearby and far away. David says in Psalm 67, he says, may God be gracious to us and bless us. Why? So that your ways may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you. May all the peoples praise you. Actually, David says this three, four times. You kind of get this, this is important to him. He repeats it over and over and over again. And he says, may all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest, God. Our God blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. David says, the reason why we're experiencing material prosperity while we're having crops and harvests and protection as the king is so that we can bless all peoples on the world. The people nearby, the people far away. God has always looked for people that he can pour his blessing into so they can be his means of blessing people nearby and, and far, far away. Fast forward several more centuries to the time of Jesus. It wasn't only true with Abraham and with David, but with every single one of us. Jesus is about to go back into heaven, and he says the fifth time, he said it in four different ways. One you, we had on the screen earlier, where God said, uh, go, uh, when this gospel was proclaimed to all the peoples of the world, the Indian will come. Another time he said, go make disciples of all nations, over and over and over again. Jesus repeated this. It's not textual variance. It's any good teacher knows that you say the same thing many different ways. And Jesus, one last time, says to the, to the church, he says, you're not ready. He says, I want you to stay in Jerusalem until you get a supernatural power from on high. And he says, he says, and then you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the world. Now, I would ask you, what's the most important word in that passage? I would suggest it's the word and. God longs to bless us. Okay, maybe that's a new idea for you. God longs to bless us so we can bless others. Okay, maybe that's a new idea. But maybe the new idea for you is God longs to bless us so we can bless others nearby and far away. Now, I have nothing to base this on biblically. But my experience has been that the younger a pastor or congregation is, the better they are at being witnesses for Jesus nearby. But they're crummy with far away. And even though they're billions of people that they have no access to an internet... Um, and there are many cultures like that where there is no internet. You can't use the internet. The gospel's never going to be shared that way. And so even though there are billions of people, the only way we'll hear is if there's a physical flesh and body there. Sometimes younger generations are good at being witnesses nearby, but those who are far away. And then sometimes it seems like the older the leader or the congregation is, they're good at reaching people far away, but they're very poor reaching near pe- people nearby. And so I would suggest to you that the most important word in that, in that passage is and. I have four daughters. What if I, instead of this, these locations, what if I said, uh, I'm going to love Susanna, then Sarah, then Anna, then Abigail? That changes the whole meaning, doesn't it? Or what if I use the word or? 
I'm going to love Susanna or Sarah or Anna or Abigail. You say, well, that's, you're not much of a dad. The, the point that Jesus is saying is saying to these disciples, you need is this supernatural encounter with the Holy Spirit. When you do, like the Grinch, your heart is going to grow three times bigger that day. And you're going to love not only people who are nearby, but people far away. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Many of us think, eh, well, I'm doing this. I don't need to do this. Discipleship is simply aligning people's vision and heart to the mission and to the heart of Jesus. That's all it is. And so Jesus says, wait. And when you do, when you're empowered, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, what are those at? Jerusalem are people who are near like you. So if you're white, they're people who live next door who are near to you, who are white. If you're black, they're people who are black. If you speak Spanish, they're people who speak Spanish. People who are like you. When Jesus is saying that to the disciples, they're in Jerusalem, the capital city of the Jewish empire. He's saying it to good Jewish boys. But he says, you also are to be my witnesses in Judea. Judea was like the next county over. It was also people who were nearby who were like them. So they're also Jewish people. They looked the same. They were ethnically the same. They spoke the same. But then he says, you also are to be my witnesses, not only to people who are like you, the same language, same ethnic group, who are nearby or who are near, but you also are to be witnesses in Samaria. Now, the Jews, literally, when they would go from up north to Jerusalem, they would literally go around Samaria because the Samaritans were considered heretics, pagans. Uh, the, the Samaritans only believed the first couple books of the Bible. Uh, To this day, the Samaritans offer an annual sacrifice on Mount Gerizim. They didn't use the temple. They didn't believe in any of that. And so these are people who are nearby but who are different from you, unlike you. If you're a Democrat, it means a Republican. If you're a Republican, it means a Democrat. Uh, People who have wacko theological, biblical, moral ideas. People who are different from you, who speak different languages, who look different than you. And, And so Jesus says, one of the signs of being filled with the Spirit... I would suggest, is not a manifestation, but a heart for people nearby and far away. Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And then he says, obviously, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And that's one of the things you'll be talking about in the next week. The billions of people out there who have no way of hearing about Christ unless we send them someone to tell them. Now, the question is, how do we, how do, we, how do, we do that? Well, for example, for those who are near like you, you're Jerusalem. One of the things you can do is maybe have a blessing list. Have you ever heard of this? Is this a phrase new for you? Blessing list is the idea is that you pray for God to give you the names of two local unchurched people. Now, unchurched, because we don't want to take people from other churches. Well, it's not a good church. Yes. But the majority of the pie are not in church anywhere. That's who we want to go after. And so you begin to pray for them. At our church in Indianapolis, I remember we had one woman said, I don't know anybody. And kind of thought, well, God's a big boy. Just pray. And God began to show her somebody that she saw every week in the grocery store and someone at the office, doctor's office. And then you simply begin to pray for them, for God to work in their life. And it's amazing how often they come and ask questions of you. Luann has impacted some of her managers in retail over the years this way. Where we would pray for them and pray for them. And then they would begin to ask conversations, come into my office and talk about things. And so maybe for you to reach people near, it means that you're going to develop a blessing list. 
that you're going to pray for two local unchurched people, someone you work with, someone you know from school, someone in your neighborhood, and you begin to pray for them to be blessed with a relationship with Jesus. For those who are nearby, people who are unlike you, and we live in the most ethnically diverse place in the U.S., some are saying on the planet. And, and so if all you're doing are reaching other whites or other Latinos or other blacks, you're going to come pretty short. So how can you reach people nearby? Well, you can give to, as we're doing, church planting. You can pray. You can befriend a, a planter. We'll talk about that in a second. And far away is one of the things you're going to be talking about the next week, too, the global aspect. Now, one of the things you consider, I'd suggest you considering, is giving. Um, Louie and I have four kids. Uh, our, our pattern is uh, we give a tithe of everything, 10% of everything we get. So everything I get from my district salary, some of you are supporters, all that, before taxes. And we write out a check to what we consider our host or home church, First Lions Church in Silver Springs. Then we give offerings, like we put something in the offering plate here today, and we support people around the world, the folks we're going to see in the Middle East in a couple weeks. Um, and then we, we give to Alliance Missions, too. Sometimes over the years, that for me has been a stewardship thing. Uh, sometimes I've said, you know, I can budget. We don't need to eat out. Instead, we'll, we'll get this from Aldi's instead. And the money that we saved from good stewardship, we can give that away. And then there have been times over the years where we'd said, gee, you know, stewardship just doesn't cut it. It's a sacrifice thing. We really don't need that nuclear power back scratcher with its own sale at Target. We're, we're not going to take that vacation because it'll cost us this much money and, or, or we're not going to get those kind of cell phones because I'm uncomfortable with spending this much money a month or this much money a year to talk to somebody on a phone rather than letting people be able to communicate with God by hearing about them. And so there have been times over the years where we've tightened our belt. But then I've got to be honest with you. When we had three kids in college, Christian colleges, and one in grad school, there were times where it wasn't a stewardship issue. It wasn't a sacrifice issue. We didn't have any more money. We were already sacrificial. We hadn't bought the new cars. We weren't taking the vacations. We weren't eating out. We weren't going to the movies. And it's at that point, I believe, many of our churches need to recapture that it was a supernatural thing. That God longs to bless people so that they can bless others nearby and far away. Now, please don't take this the wrong way. I am making salary-wise what I made in 1997 when I went to Indianapolis as their lead pastor. And yet we're giving more away than we ever have. I'm very grateful for what I do. I'm grateful for you and the churches and the individuals that support me. The point is, God is a supernatural God who longs to bless us so that we can bless others nearby and far away. And so we're able to give away more locally and to church planting, and to alliance missionaries, and non-alliance missionaries than we ever have. Not because of me, but because God is a God who looks for people that he can bless. I believe that when God finds an individual, or a family, or a business, or a church that says, God, if, if you bless me, I won't hold on to any of this. I'll give it away. I don't want to be a glass. I don't want to be a swimming pool. I want to be a river that you can flow your blessings through. That when God finds a person or a group like that, he pours his blessings into them. I've been privileged when I was a senior pastor to bless some major giving churches. One of them was in the ninth poorest city in the U.S. 20% of the people in the church were generational poverty. 
And yet God blessed them to the point where they were able to give more than 25 churches in the whole alliance. Not because they were wealthy people, but because they relearned that truth that God longs to bless us so that we can bless others nearby and far away. And he poured his blessings into them and they did stuff locally. They reached the poor. They reached multi-ethnic groups. They, They reached church planting and they did stuff around the world. What could happen here at this next week if you began to catch, recapture that truth, that what God did for Abraham and he did for David and what he promised through Jesus, that it still applies to you. That he's looking for people like, like that. We right now are in a huge needy area. The National Capital Region, uh, which is a, a term that the, the government uses to describe Delaware, Maryland, and Virginia, the areas that commute into D.C. or are affected by D.C., is now the fifth largest growing place in the U.S. Only four places are growing faster or are larger than the D.C. area. Over the next, I hate traffic here. Can you imagine a million more people on the road? They say, well, get ready. Suppose over the next 10 years, grow from 9.6 to 10.6 million people. There's a huge, and, and that's just the statistics. Spiritually, the national capital region is the most ethnically diverse. You'll see in a minute, I'm going to show you who our church plants are. It's, it's this huge ethnic diverse area. I'm convinced that the church of the future is what you are trying to be, a multi-ethnic church. Not white churches, not black churches, not Latino churches, not Asian churches. Because our area is the most ethnically diverse place in the U.S. Uh, Tim Keller's group says 70% of the people have no religion. That, doesn't mean, that means nothing. They're not Buddhist, they're not Hindu, they're not Muslim, they're not Christian, nothing. And that's why we want to target those people who have no religion. My Southern Baptist counterpart, I was down at McLean Bible Church last month, they've, they're from their studies, if every church building... Every church building was literally filled to capacity. Only 12% of the population would be present. That's why the solution is not having fuller churches or going to two services. Then we'd have 24% of the population. We believe that's why the solution is planting more and more churches throughout the, the whole area. And so we have begun to target that. We've expanded from five to six. We want to do more, but funds have not allowed us to. Uh, Alan there is our newest church planter. Alan uh, came to First Alliance Church in Silver Springs, and they took him under their wing, gave him a free place where they could meet. Actually, they're, they're meeting there this morning for free. He works in uh, Virginia during the week as a mechanic, drives up on the weekend to Silver Spring, does discipleship, leads ministry on Sunday morning, has lunch with them, and then he drives back to Virginia where 15 to 30 people have come to him and said, would you be our pastor? We'd like to start a new church here. And so in their second year, they're already talking about starting a daughter church in the Virginia area but we're not able to give him any money because we had to cut our, our spending from 211000 to to 100000 uh, Bruce, uh, you know because you've supported him. Uh, there's 1.2 million deaf and hard of hearing people in the national capital region. As, a, as, a, as an international people group, the deaf are 97% unreached. And so the alliance, you talk about Envision, alliance has moved to Envision people into D.C., they're at Gallaudet University, just as people go to France to learn French. They are there uh, learning American Sign Language. And so Bruce has begun, as you know, a ministry at Gallaudet University, the largest deaf university in the world, and in Frederick. This month they began Sunday morning worship services for the first time. Uh, Bruce 
texted me on Friday. He just led uh, uh, one, one woman to Christ on Friday, Friday morning. But we had to cut what we were giving them by 50% because of all that we had. Uh, David, David uh, ministers to the urban in uh, Baltimore where his home is. You could literally stand on his back porch and hit a golf ball and the ball would have hit where the riots were in 2015. Uh, Baltimore is, has the highest crime of any city in the U.S. Uh, Sunday morning, uh, let's see what time is it, right about, well, they're just about finishing up. They, they have a ministry to the homeless in the park. A few weeks ago, I was speaking, and my phone buzzed right before I went, got up to preach, and I thought, I better look at it. And David texted me, they just led three people to Christ in the park. They have begun uh, morning worship services. They walk a few blocks over to a hotel where they've begun to rent two rooms, and uh, the rooms are full a lot of times, but we had to cut what we gave them by 50%. Uh, uh, Eddie, Eddie is in his second year of ministry. They ministered to Haitians. He had been from the Silver Springs area, moved down to Fredericksburg, Virginia. Burden to reach Haitians there. They, they rent um, a public school building where they have worship in an auditorium, and then they go over to the cafeteria for lunch afterwards. And I'm there, what, two weeks, three weeks from now. It is a rip-warring service. I mean, I thought I, I passed a multi-ethnic church for 10 years. And, man, this stretches me. You're there, and one minute it's French, one minute it's Creole, one minute it's English. When I speak, I think, I have no idea what language I'm going to even be translated into. Uh, they had two people come to Christ last month. They've begun praying for 20 minutes every Sunday between services, and they're seeing God working. But we had to cut what we give them by 50%. And Dokachu uh, ministers to Ethiopians in Silver Spring. Did you know that there are 240 Ethiopians that fly into our area every day? The only place on planet Earth that has more Ethiopians is the capital city of Ethiopia. And so they've already grown. I hate to tell this because I said to one church and they said, well, why should we give to them? And I thought, well, why do you give to a missionary who wins people to Christ? I only want to give to losers. Well, they already have several hundred people coming. One Sunday they had 89 kids. Uh, I'm in talks with, the, with uh, the denominational group, not ours, that they rent this huge old building from because they're paying like five, $7,000 a month. And they're having a great ministry. And we had to cut what we give them by 50%. And Eddie, uh, no, that's Hernando. And Hernando, uh, he should be retired. And yet he's continuing on and he works with forgotten Spanish immigrants. And he supports the whole thing. He does translation and legal work, helps them with immigrant issues during the week. Many of them have come to Christ and they have worship on Sunday morning, but we're not able to give them anything. Now the praises are, giving has gone up. Giving has begun to increase. We saw in July and August, we got $14,900 a month. In, in, in six weeks... We received what it took us six months to get before. Praise the Lord. People and churches have begun to give. We've seen new believers at our church plants, three in Baltimore, two in Fredericksburg, one uh, among, among the deaf. We have four to 500 people every Sunday in our church, church plants. We're looking at two possible new church plants, one in Virginia, one in Delaware, maybe one in Maryland, depending upon what happens there. That's three, I know. We took 11 to Exponential, the church planning conference just last week. Uh, one of them was a church planner, and the other two were the entire staffs from First Alliance Church in Silver Springs and Great Commission Church in, uh, in Virginia. But we have prayer needs. 
You can pray for money to increase and be consistent. Yeah, we got $14,900 coming in each month. The problem is we need $17,000 to be able to, to do things. Uh, if every person in one of our Alliance churches just gave a dollar a week, we'd be right back where we should be. Uh, and I'm taking uh, several people to basic training, uh, three from the Deaf Church, maybe a church planter in Ohio, to several days of kind of church planting boot camp. So there are exciting things that happen. And so as we've talked to people, we, we've encouraged people, you can give through your church and you can just designate it for church planting. Some people have gone to our alliance, to our district website, CMA MAD, we're the MAD people. We're mad enough to believe that we can reach people for Jesus and change the national capital region area. And they just click on the give button. Or some like to use the Tithely, Tithely app. I was in one small church just a couple weeks ago and a guy came up and wrote a check for $4,000. And maybe, maybe God is burdening you to give. Or maybe it's never occurred to you to say, God, if you bless me, I'll give it away. I had a guy when I was in grad school by the name of Wayne Watts. Wayne wrote a, wrote a book called The Gift of Giving. Wayne was an oil man in Texas, you know, like J.R. Ewing with the big hat and everything. He would pray for God to give him gushers. You know what gushers are? They'd hit the ground, the oil would gush up a new rig and everything. And God did it because he said God knew that if he gave him these gushers millions of dollars, he would give it all away. And he supported missionaries and schools and all kinds of things. Maybe, maybe God wants you to say, God, if you bless me, I will give it away. I want to impact people nearby and far, far away. Or maybe he's challenging you to pray. I just sent out a prayer update yesterday and some of you are supporters and I thank you for that. And if you'd like to get that prayer update, you can give your email to the office here, or district office, or just write directly to me, tbruner at cmamad.org. Now, maybe you're sitting here, and you're an American, you're a Westerner, and you've bought into the false idea that it's numbers that make a difference. It's rivers. Well, we sang a song about showers of blessings. You know what a shower is? It's billions of individual raindrops. And if you're sitting here today thinking, my one dollar won't make any difference, my little Peasley prayer of one minute is going to make any difference, let me tell you a story. It's a true story. Several years ago, there was a pastor came to the church building. There was a little girl outside, and she was just crying. And he said, what's the matter? She was trying to get into the kids' ministry, and she said there wasn't room. It was just a little tiny church building. And she was crying because she couldn't get in. So the kind pastor took her in, found a place for her, and got her inside. And the girl was just excited. She went home that night, and she fell asleep, thinking about all the other kids in the area that didn't have a place where they could worship Jesus. She was from a very poor family. Fast forward two years. They found this little girl dead in one of these poor tenement buildings. So the the parents asked the kind-hearted pastor, would he come and handle all the funeral arrangements. And as they were moving the body, from underneath her, this, this worn, ratty red purse fell out. The kind like you would look like somebody found it in a garbage dump. She probably did. And when they opened the purse, they found two things inside it. 57 cents and a little handwritten note that obviously was written by her because it children's handwriting. And in, in it, she wrote about how that this 57 cents was the offering that she had been saving up for two years. And she wanted them to use it to, to buy or to build a bigger building so that more children could hear about Christ. Well, the pastor took the note and the purse to the funeral service and he got up 
you know, tears streaming down his face. He's telling everybody about it. He says, man, let's get on board, folks. So people in the church began to give, and people across the country heard about it and began to give. A newspaper heard about it and published a story. The story doesn't end there. A local realtor read the story in the newspaper, and it offered this prime piece of land to the church, uh, which cost thousands of dollars more than they could afford. And when he heard the church said, well, we just can't afford it, he sold it to them for how much? 57 cents. Now, in case you think that story isn't true, that happened in 1886. In 1912, the pastor of the church, Russell Conwell, was standing up in front of the church. Russell Conwell was the founder of Temple University. That's how Temple University in Philadelphia came to be. This little girl gave 57 cents. That caused him to expand. And in 1912, 5,600 people had been added to the church. This little tiny church that was so small she couldn't even get into had grown to the point there was over 5,000 more members. They started Good Samaritan's Hospital in Philadelphia, which healed and cured who knows how many thousands of people. They started Temple University. They started ministries to the poor. They sent out people around, around the world. Matter of fact, the first place that they bought was the little house that this girl built, built, uh, lived in. And 54 cents of the, of the 57 cents that that girl gave, they used to make the first payment on this house that became the place where the first classes at Temple University met. Don't you dare think your one dollar won't make a difference. Don't you dare think that your one minute of praying won't make a difference. You add you to 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 thousands of other people in our district to 400,000 people meeting in Alliance churches this morning and suddenly you have a river of blessing. God longs to bless you. And he longs to bless you so that you can bless people nearby and far away. Which, which of those is the, is the new idea for you? Is God saying, maybe, maybe it's never occurred to you that he wants to bless you, that he loves you the way you are. Or maybe you've, you sing the song, yeah, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord, and it's never occurred to you that God wants to bless you so you can bless others. Or maybe it's the fact that he, so he can bless others nearby and far away. And he wants to give you a heart and a blessing so you can reach people in your Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. How will you participate in that? Will it be a blessing list? Will it be church planting? Will it be faith promise? I don't know. But I challenge you today to realize God is a God who loves you and he wants to bless you so that you can bless others nearby and far away. And that's what I'd like to pray for you. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the people in this room. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the incredible impact of what is happening here and what could happen here. Thank you for the way you've used them to reach people here locally, friends in their lives, family members, people in the neighborhoods, through the, through the farmer's market, and through other ministries, through their giving to church planting and to the deaf ministry and to, to missionaries. But Lord, I pray that this would not be anything compared to what you're going to do through them. I pray that you pour out such a blessing upon them that they cannot contain it and that through them you would bless people nearby and far away. Somehow, Lord, show that to each person here, what that means. Help them to participate the way that you did to Abraham and to David and those first disciples. Do it again here, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.